Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. I'm excited to introduce part one of a special three-part series about the talent strategies required to address the looming skills gap, build the future workforce, and accelerate transformation. This series is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Nina Kendrick, the director of the National Recruiting Center at Tech Systems. Uh, Nina, first, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do at Tech Systems? Sure. I, uh, I started with the company a little over 16 years ago, and I have spent the entire my entire career actually on the recruiting side. So I... Um, We built out the National Recruiting Center, which is a team of virtual recruiters all across the country to really focus in on specialized skill sets, um, meaning we specifically focus on verticals such as healthcare, government government services. And then we also have skill set specialized recruiters, um, EA, DA, and I. Um, We also have risk and security, digital and creative. So I've got about 165 people on my team all across the country, and they really have the opportunity to recruit either on a um, regional or national basis and stay very specialized within their skill sets. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about this topic with you. Um, so uh, IT unemployment, uh, you know, there's always been a lot of demand for IT positions and, and a lot of um, competition for, for qualified candidates, but IT unemployment is hovering around historic lows. Um, even, even relatively speaking. And there's still plenty of headlines that include different versions of the war for talent. But uh, does the talent gap still come as a bit of a surprise to companies that you work with? And uh, you know, could, you, uh, could you start with some examples of the, maybe the common misconceptions about the IT talent gap? I think it does really come to a surprise. And, and sometimes it, it, it does even to you know, how quickly the IT talent is moving between jobs. So what I mean is they have so many options right now um, for where they want to work and are, you know, consistently interviewing for multiple positions. So they're not waiting around. You know, if they find something they like and, and the company's moving quickly, they're going to um, take an offer quickly and if it has what they're interested in. So I think the misconception of, well, we want to interview three or four candidates and go through multiple, um, you know, interview boards and things. Sometimes, unfortunately, um, the, the talent might not be around by the time they're ready to make a decision. I also think sometimes with with the, you know, such a, a low unemployment rate, um, you know, we'll work with companies who have a really long list of skills that they have within the requirement that they're looking at, but they don't actually need all of those skills that are listed. And sometimes they're limiting that talent pool even more. Um, so we really work with them to figure out and determine what skills are required and then which ones can actually be learned at the job site. And they don't actually need to have um, prior to even joining the opportunity. And you touched on some of this as in regards to attracting talent, but you know, what? What would you say are, are some reasons that companies typically struggle um, both attracting as well as retaining IT talent? I think sometimes they limit them to just one area of the business or one project. And so oftentimes 
you know, IT talent wants to be a part of the solution, part of the process, get involved with multiple parts of the business, not just siloed to one section, one project. Um, I think there's a big learning component. There's an, you know, an interest in really knowing, well, what parts of the business will I touch? What will I learn while I'm on this assignment? Um, and they want to be able to move around within the organization. I think about internal talent mobility and the opportunity to do one project while learning another part of the business and being able to to take those skills and, and potentially stay, um, you know, at a company a lot longer by being able to to move throughout the organization. But they only do that by learning that other part while they're doing a specific project. And I think that's something that's a miss is if we silo them to one area, um, you know, they, they might get bored and, and start to look. And that's where our retention um, can struggle. What about uh, rise of remote work? Obviously, that's that's been top of mind for for months now. And, you know, whether it's remote or hybrid work, um, how has this impacted company recruiting strategies? Yeah, I mean, I would say it has definitively um, completely transformed recruiting strategies. I mean, it it looks so much different than it did a year and a half ago. Um, there's just there's a much larger talent pool and you know, companies can engage talent from everywhere. They, they don't have to look in their backyard. They can get really, really specific searches on, you know, talent that has a very specific industry experience and that, that can go from coast to coast. So I think it's just really transformed how we attract talent, how we engage with them and really who we can talk to. Um, you know, they can find someone much more specialized once they blur those geographic lines and get talent like I said, with similar industry experience, um, similar projects. So if you're you know, you're building something that's very specific to your industry, knowing which companies have already done that and being able to look across the entire country to recruit that talent has really, now that it's, anything's possible. Um, you, know, you can look for people who are in small towns who are very, very talented, but never wanted to relocate. And now they're available for opportunities in, in potentially larger markets. Are you finding uh, employer that employers are still resistant to remote work, um, despite you know many obviously have embraced it, some at least temporarily embraced it. But you know, are, is there still some resistance? And you know, when you're talking about IT, um, some of the factors might be around security or maybe even collaboration. So you know, what are, are those valid concerns, or how, you know, how have you worked around that? They, I mean, they are valid concerns in some areas. Um, and, and, you know, to your question, employers are still asking that um, the talent be able to come in the office on occasion, um, which yeah. even if it's on occasion, I think it still limits them to a geographic area. If you've got somebody who's, you know, sitting in Baltimore and they want them to be on the West Coast on occasion, that, that's probably going to rule out that, um, that talent pool. But I, I think from a security concern, I mean, so many companies have figured out how to do it and how to... Um, to engage people still at a remote basis and keep a culture and keep a team collaboration. So I think it's really, you know, companies need to get creative on how to still have collaboration tools that they can use for people that are um, in the office and remote. So I think more and more we see the hybrid model of some are in the office, but there's still team members that are completely remote and figuring out ways to, to keep them engaged and, and feel like they're still right there next to you. Uh, from your perspective, what are the, either the big, biggest technical skill gaps in, in organizations or, you know, where, what's the, what are the skills that are most in demand? Yeah, I would say for us, what I've seen in most demand, I mean, cloud architects and, and engineers, I mean, everything's going to the cloud as we know. So we're constantly seeing, um, you know, opportunities and, and requirements for cloud architects and engineers, data analytics, um, you know, they're still with everything going to the cloud and so much information to sort through and, and analyze data analytics skills are in high demand. And then, 
and this has been continued from, you know, I would say the past four or five years, but just development skills, our application development skills, um, and the languages are, are constantly, you know, different versions are coming out, but those are some of our most um, in high demand skills that I see. You touched on this a little bit earlier as far as um, some motivations for employees, but, you know, when, when it really comes down to it is attracting the right talent a matter of paying the right salaries or, you know, are there some other ways that employers can look at um, attracting IT talent? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, salary is one component, but it has to be more than just that. I mean, I think people, especially coming out of COVID and kind of reanalyzing where they're at and their, you know, their work life and their home life and things, I mean, employees want to have purpose at work and really know that they're valued and to be able to have an opinion on process improvement to really be a part of the organization. So I think sometimes, you know, that's a miss when we don't, when we're trying to attract talent talking about what their purpose at work will be and what's the bigger picture. And, you know, they want transparency with their leaders around career opportunities, how they're going to have the opportunity to grow, um, what that growth can look like, and um, an opportunity to learn new skills. I mean, there's one component of, of salary, but then there's also what will I learn? Um, how will I be able to continuously learn? The ability to continuously upskill is going to be important. And then flexibility. I mean, I think, you know, we've heard that word a lot and, and we'll continue to hear it, but you know, not just flexibility on whether they have to be in the office or not, but flexibility around when and how the work gets done. I think there's, you know, the whole eight to five and there's been you know tons of articles around it, but it's just, it's archaic to think that that's how work's going to be done. Now people want to blend their home life with their, with their work life and being able to do work at different times is going to be really critical. And, you know, I think it can be more productive as well. And we've seen that over the past year and a half, uh, it, you know, I think there's a lot of increased productivity um, but I think those are some of the things outside of just salary. I mean, I've always thought, you know, salary is, um, it's a satisfier, but it's not necessarily a motivator. And so it's how do we engage employees to keep them motivated and, and want to be continuously improving and learning. And I think it's really keeping the purpose um, for why they're at work really, really front of mind. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, you know, I definitely think, um, you know, extrinsic things like salaries and stuff, there there obviously has to be a, a threshold met, but um, you know, once you get past that, it's kind of diminishing returns to, um, to, to do that versus some of the other things that you're mentioning. Um, for those companies that get it, you know, that, that understand that there needs to be more, um, some more value place or, you know, some more um, other ways of motivating employees. Um, what recommendations do you have um, that of ways that they can differentiate their opportunities, you know, cause a lot of these things it's, it's hard in a, in a job description to kind of um, talk too much about um, you know, the, the, the opportunities and the, the ideas for ownership of, of work and, and stuff like that. But, you know, what, what kind of ideas or, or, or things could, could help employers kind of set themselves apart? Sure. I think when they're engaging the talent, one of the key things is just being really clear on the overall impact this project will have on the organization. So, um, you know, leading with not just the skills needed, but the overall vision for the project, um, how this role in particular supports that vision. So it kind of goes back to that purpose. It's saying, okay, and you can do that clearly and concisely around, these are the skills needed for the job, but here's what the, the vision is for this overall role, um, how it supports the organization, what your individual impact is going to have, I think can really be, um, advantageous, and then communicate what types of training and development will be available um, so that somebody knows, okay, well, if I'm doing this, if I am trying to choose between three or four, you know, 
five or six opportunities. If this one, if I know I'm going to learn new skills here, that might be the one thing that really makes me more attracted to that position. And then I think another thing is just communicating what the company's values are. Um, that can sometimes be a missed opportunity. And when, again, going back to people coming out of COVID and reevaluating where they're at in life, working for an organization that has similar values to them is going to be important. So um, communicating what those are up front. And, and I think that gives um, you know, that organization, again, maybe a, a step up and, and more advantageous for them. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, you mentioned companies communicating their values. Are a lot of candidates asking these questions or, you know, again, advice to to employers? Do they do they need to be more straightforward and a little more, let's say, more blatant about this just because, um, you know, or are, are the potential employees asking these kinds of questions frequently? I think in some cases they're asking the questions. But to be honest, I think when an employer is more upfront about them, then it's almost one of those things where, oh, I didn't even think to ask that. But if you're in the interview or you're talking to a recruiter for the first time and they're telling you about the organization, if they lead with the values, um, it's such a differentiator up front. So they may not know to ask the question, but then once they learn about those, um, they're probably going to you know, evaluate that and think about, okay, well, what are the, you know, my other interviews didn't talk about that. Do they, do they not lead with their values? Are they not true to their values? So I think it's, it's more, on the employer side to really communicate those up front versus waiting to be asked because I really think that could be a differentiator for them. Yeah. And what I guess one more question along that line, you know, do do company values always have to be um, the altruistic things where I'm sure they have like a corporate social responsibility or ESG campaign or or something like that? Or could it be other types of values that are maybe even more relevant to the work being done. What, what have you seen that's worked? Yeah, I think it's the, it's the latter. It's the work being done. It's the, um, I don't think it's the corporate, you know, to what you said about the moral responsibility. I think, you know, that they can research that online and, you know, find out what that is before they even interview, but it's kind of the stuff that's like, what do we stand for? Why do people stay? Um, you know, almost those current employer testimonials kind of coming out in those values to say, why would I want to work here? And, you know, what does this organization really stand for and how do they treat their employees is what they're looking for. Well, um, do you have any uh, closing tips or maybe advice for employees um, when working with talent solutions partners to find talent? You know, I think the big thing is, you know, in that collaboration process, being open and asking questions around, you know, how are some of their competitors attracting talent? You know, we've got a lot of um you know, different experiences with companies across the entire organization. So when you're working with a talent solutions partners, hey, how, how are my, um, you know, how are my peers doing it? And I think there's a lot to learn there. You know, what has worked in the past and, and asking questions. And then um, I think also being really curious around what type of upskilling these partners can assist with. I feel like that's a huge piece of how we're, you know, with, with demand being so high, there's going to be a need for continuous upskilling and can those partners help with the upskilling process? Do they have something in place to be able to do it? Um, just asking those types of questions. And actually, could you, could you talk a little bit more about that upskilling component? I completely agree. I think, you know, with everything from increased automation to just new technologies coming out, like what, what are some of the things that, that an employer could you know, or could or should expect from from their talent solution partner to be able to provide in that in that regard. Right. I mean, is you know potentially it's a boot camp for specific technologies, so that maybe they you know someone has experience with an outdated technology and they go through a boot camping. Um, you know, they have the soft skills for the job, and they've got you know the the overall 
skills needed, but they just need to get the you know different languages or you know upskill in terms of versions. I think that's where you can work with a talent partner to to deliver on that. Any other advice or recommendations for organizations to consider, um, maybe in regard to their inclusion, uh, diversity, or equity programs? You know, I think it's important to talk about you know what where that falls in terms of their you know their overall hiring. Um, practices and, and what they're trying to achieve. But I think more importantly with that piece is not only, you know, what they're trying to achieve, but being able to talk about how they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. So how they're going to, you know, once they do, you know, bring employees on, you know, do they have ERGs? Do they have specific things that they're doing um, to keep those employees engaged and help them move throughout the organization? Well, um, this has been a great conversation, Nina. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Again, I'd like to thank Nina Kendrick from Tech Systems for joining the show. Learn more about Tech Systems and their perspective at techsystems.com. I'm Greg Kilstrom. Thanks for listening to the Agile World. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.